Welcome to the Hopecast. Here, we have conversations on finding life. Okay, okay. I go first. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hopecast. This is David Dwight, and I'm here with Drew Daniels, and I get to ask Drew a question. All right. All right. So if you have listened to the CD Spirit and Truth that our worship folks put together and wrote the songs, you may think, why does that intro to the Hopecast sound familiar? (laughs) Because the intro to the Hopecast is also the intro to, I think it's the first song on the CD, right? So every time I hear it, what I'm getting ready to hear is your wife's voice singing yep. in the morning. Yep. How does it how's it go? In the morning, your, your unfailing, unfailing love, love floods the room. Right. All right. So every time I hear it, I'm like, that's I'm ready for in the morning, oh, your unfailing so love fills the room. But we get <laughs> we got, hey, welcome to the Hopecast. I um I was just listening to that record the other day, and it is it is fun to hear Paige on that. This was the first time that we wrote songs for each other. So there's stuff that I'm singing on there that she wrote, and there's stuff that she's singing on there that I wrote. And that's, so that's cool. Really, that, for example, that song is one that I wrote that she sings. Which oh, is that's really fun. really fun. I didn't know that. So that's a cool thing. So you listen to the Hopecast, you get a few more <laughs> behind-the-scenes at Hope. That's it's so, so fun. fun. So um, you realize this, right? I, you, you, you probably don't realize this. You know, people who know that you and Paige are married, they probably easily concoct in their minds, oh, man, this is incredible. Those two at home, they just (laughs) sit in their living room every night with a guitar and a keyboard, and they just create beautiful music, and it's just such harmony and incredibly great. Oh, man. That is what you do every night, right? You and Paige, right? I was just just talking to you the other day. I was like... We like don't play music together at home really that much at all. We listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, we like to just talk about life and cook dinner together. That's Plus, you have a little bambino who takes up a little energy now. I know. I How know. old is he? Little Nash. He is uh, eight and a half months. And uh, that, you know, we've been talking recently about we really want him to crawl and walk. And some <laughs> of his little buddies that are his age can all do it. And I was talking to Paige the other day. I was like, you know what, Paige? Actually, let's not let's not like rush this too much because I have a feeling that him walking and crawling doesn't mean our life gets easier. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're that's a good insight, right? Well, first of all, you're into the whole parent thing, right? And this is always hard, right? Because what's your child doing? What's your child doing? Yeah. My child is speaking Greek and Hebrew now, and he's seven months old. <laughs> My child just got accepted at Harvard, and he's nine months old. Um. Yeah. Well, what you're saying is sort of funny because parents will tell you this, right? There's this funny progression. Your first child, it's like, oh, we're going to get him walking. We're going to get him walking, get him walking. Like you have your fourth child and he's trying to walk and you kind of like trip him, knock him down. We don't want this kid walking. When he starts walking, it's a total game changer. <laughs> Just very gently, like knock off their balance. It's a little bit like the progression, like when couples. Oh. Totally understandable. We did it ourselves. You have a first child, and that child's not going in the nursery for months. Oh, By the man. time you have your fourth child, it's two days after the kid's born. He's in the nursery <laughs> at church. Well, luckily, Paige is like she is a really laid back mom, and so it's actually been really fun. We laugh about a lot of this stuff, and some of it's just being in this environment. I feel like we're around <laughs> great people, great parents, and 
So it's actually been a fun journey for us. For well, I hadn't seen him in a little while the other day. I'm like, oh, man, he's so cute. And I, I was Elizabeth was with me. I said, you know that Drew's family are saying, he looks just like Drew. And Paige's family are saying, he looks just like Paige. Oh, my gosh. Can I tell you you're right? You're right. Oh, because he's so such funny. a cute little kid. Of course, that's everybody's so like, funny. oh, he looks like our family. Yeah, everybody wants to claim the genes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, well, we're going to jump All right, well, into... everybody tuned into the to the Hopecast <laughs> to hear about Paige and Drew and Nash, right? <laughs> oh, but it's fun. I um Okay, so we're jumping into an awesome topic today, and I'd uh, I'd love to just go straight there. Um, okay, so... Do you remember the Beatles song? It starts out with this incredible driving guitar. And then this is big riff. You say you want a revolution. Yes. Well, you know. Oh, okay. yes. Why did that song just come to mind, Drew? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I wonder if it came to mind because of something that we're going to be talking about okay. today. I um. What's our topic? Our topic is, well, it's... It's not necessarily self-explanatory, but that's that's good. I'll say the topic, and then I want you to just go. I okay. think that would be awesome. All right, we'll try. Gospel revolution. Gospel revolution. Go. <laughs> go. All right. So, um, a lot of a lot of my ideas for sermons or teaching or whatever, they spark when I'm reading something. I could read a sentence, but the sentence is incendiary. And then I start writing notes about it. And then one thought leads to another. And then it's like, well, if that's true, then it could mean this. And what about this? And imagine what that would mean in our lives. Mm. And if we could help people know this, our hearts could be so set free. And if we could help people know God this way. So that's kind of how it tends to go. So I read a book that I finished a little while ago that I will say was a really great one. Can't recommend it enough. It was called Jesus the King by Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. I like Tim Keller. People have heard us probably talk about him. And that's a different title than what it started with. I yeah. think it started with like the King's Cross or something. That's exactly right. Yeah. The first edition was called the King's Cross, but then it's been sort of updated, and now it's called Jesus the King. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it is a really good book. Um, it's kind of a commentary, right, on Mark or no? It, 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 he, it's all about the Gospel of Mark, and it's all about Jesus, his teaching, sort of the the meaning, the richness of his teaching— uh, but it came out of a sermon series that Tim did on the Gospel of Mark. Okay. So in one section of the book, Tim Keller says that um, the kingdom of God, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He uses the phrases kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, but they're synonymous. They mean the same thing. Um, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Tim Keller says this is the only, the only revolution, actual revolution that has ever crossed the face of the earth, Hmm. right? So he goes on to explain this, and I just thought, wow. So the way he begins to unpack this is, he says, you know, we use the term revolution a lot, right? So we all learned about the American Revolution in school, and it's the colonies, and it's George Washington, and it's the British, and the whole st- the whole story. Um, we learn about other revolutions: the Russian Revolution, the French Revolution. We hear about revolutions in different countries. Keller essentially makes the point that none of those are actually revolutions. He's saying a revolution, like a real revolution, means the total way life works is completely changed. Mm. 
So Keller's making the point that most of what we tend to call revolutions are just changes in who's in control, Mm. changes in governments, who's in governing power, who occupies the palace or the White House or, you know, Buckingham Palace or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, But but there is no fundamental revolution in the way life actually works. It's still about power. It's still about money. It's still about control. It's still about one group trying to get its ideology to be the pervasive governing mm-hmm. ideology. So whether it's liberal or conservative, whether it's labor or management, whether it's individualism or communism, it's still all the same. Like I'm now embellishing Keller, but it's sort of it's still the same old yarn. Yeah of human beings exacting power to promote their views and to some degree holding sway over other people to get their views and to get it the way they want it, right? So maybe a different party that's in control, but... It's not actually a revolution. To, yeah, it's the same substructures that are behind it all. Sure. If we use sort of American politics... <clears throat> um, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, it's still about money. It's still about trying to control the House and the Senate. It's still about trying to pass the legislation you want passed. Sure. It's the same yarn, yep. even though the ideology may be different. Now, people might want to argue this, but but I really think the substructures, the principles that drive it, it's, I agree, it's all the same. Now, these ideas get sort of emotional, and we have people listening who are probably strong conservatives, strong liberals. The views are different. But I think if you can listen to it from a Christian standpoint, he's saying Jesus and his kingdom is the only true revolution that ever crossed the face of the earth. What does he mean by that? Jesus taught and brought and lived and modeled and demonstrated a completely different way of living a human life. Mm. And power was no longer about control or dominance. Mm. It was about servanthood. Mm. And the power and the results that this brings about are the difference between subjugating people to your view or setting them free. So Jesus comes into a culture and... People may or may not know this, but a quick little context lesson. When Jesus was born and in the years that he lived in the Middle East, that whole region of the world was a powder keg. It was it was a flare-up waiting to happen at any moment. Hmm. There were constant uh, stories of flare-ups and small little revolution battles with the hmm. Romans. There were numerous Jewish um, patriotic resistance groups different stripes and colors, and they hated the Romans. It wasn't uncommon to find a Roman soldier or two dead in an alley on any given day, killed by some of the Jewish patriots. Um, Pontius Pilate, who's the governor of this region, right, he's a a Roman um, ruler. Basically, what Rome is saying to Pilate is, make sure you keep the peace, This is an inflammatory place. It's a powder keg. It's a battle waiting to blow up at any moment. Your job is to keep the peace. Mm. 
So as things move along in Jesus's life and it's getting toward his trial, yep. Pilate is nervous. He's nervous. These crowds are gathering. There's these protests. He's nervous that the powder keg is going to blow. Yeah. Then he's in trouble from Rome because he couldn't do what he was supposed to do, right? Right. He's not going to get advanced. He's not going to get a bigger territory. Because they want him to keep the peace because there's these the, the Jewish people in his region. I mean, right. there were a lot of them. Right. The Romans are a foreign. The, the Romans are a foreign occupying <clears throat> right. force in what the Jews consider their homeland. Yes. It would be understandable, humanly speaking, that the Jews would resent this. Exactly. I think all, almost all of us would say, "Totally get that." Yep. But it's in that context where Jesus Christ is saying things like, "Love your enemies." What? Pray for those who persecute you. Mm. What? This is otherworldly, and that is, in fact, exactly what it is. This is the kingdom of God. This is the way of God being presented into a very volatile human environment. Wow. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, is bringing the ways of God into this volatile place that always risks exploding and turning into these battles and hundreds of people being killed. I read a while ago, I won't get it quite right because I can't remember the specifics, but something I learned historically about Pilate, there was a Jewish uprising north of uh, Jerusalem in Pilate's tenure of governance. If I remember correctly, he had a thousand Jewish um, freedom fighters crucified simultaneously talking about a thousand crosses being built, a thousand men being nailed to crosses, and he left their bodies up for a long period of time. So when people would walk by, essentially it was Pilate saying, think twice about an uprising, because what happened to these guys is coming your way oh my gosh. if you don't, you know, if you don't cool it. So it is a very volatile place. Most Jews, understandably, would be thinking the whole the whole game here is to get rid of the Roman occupation. It's to overthrow the Romans. People may know that most of the Jewish history, the idea of their coming Messiah was that he would bring a political dominance. Mm. All right? So you get this baby born in Bethlehem who grows up, and he's healing, and he's giving sight to the blind, and he's teaching, and he's exercising demons— and he is bringing a different way of life. And in that whole environment, he's saying things like, love your enemies. Oh, wow. Like, what? No one would like that. No one would like it. No, not the people that are growing up in his like Jewish family and structure or the like Roman. Right. No one would like it. I mean, what do you do? What do you want to do to your enemies? You want to kill your enemies. I mean, yeah. if they're really your enemies, that's what you want to do. Now, we, as Christians, hopefully have taken seriously this teaching of Jesus and sought to ingest it and really pay deep attention to it, right? Jesus is saying, love your enemies. This is not human. Mm. This is not the way human beings work. Yeah. It's not the way the, um, the human heart left to its own devices operates. So pray for those who persecute you, stuff like this. You remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Roman soldiers come out to get Jesus. Peter pulls out a sword and swipes it across 
the Bible says this guy's name is Malchus, swipes it across the side of his head. Jesus looks at him, heals the guy's ear, and says to Peter, essentially, this is not the way we do it. And Jesus, not how we do things. Jesus, of course, ends up going on trial. If you watch the trial, maybe people who are listening saw the movie The Passion of the Christ. It's one that I think rendered this well. If you watch the trial, you start seeing how Pilate is asking questions of Jesus. Jesus is quite—he um, doesn't seem anxious at all. Mm. He has this sort of steady, calm response— and about a third of the way into the questions, you wonder who's actually got the power here. Wow. Pilate seems anxious. He seems uptight. And you begin to realize Pilate seems very afraid. Yep. He's afraid of an uprising. He's afraid the powder keg is going to blow. He's afraid Rome is going to sack him, fire him. And Jesus doesn't seem too moved about everything. Hmm. And all of a sudden you look at it and you think, who's actually got the power here? Wow. Now, Pilate says to Jesus, do you not realize that I have the power to kill you? Jesus says to Pilate, you would have no power except that my Father in heaven granted it to you. Pilate ultimately does see to Jesus's death, even though he wanted to set him free, yep. which was probably a matter of political expedience, sure. not a matter of judicial justice. Right. And so um, Jesus ultimately does go to his death. We know the full story about the resurrection, but Jesus, his way, I think this is the point Keller is making, his way, the principles that undergird his way, his kingdom, are fundamentally different, and they are absolutely unique. Mm. So all the other stuff that we call revolutions in the world, they're just one group taking over from the other group, using the same old tired patterns of power and servility. And, you know, history tells lots of stories about, yeah, this awful leader somewhere, yeah, this resistance group, they come in, their leader ends up getting in the, in the palace, and he's worse than the guy before him. He's more tyrannical, yeah. and he's worse than the guy before him. It's like the illustration that this was really no revolution at all. A different ideology, yes, but no kind of revolution in terms of the way life actually works. And that's the point that Keller's making about Jesus and his kingdom that I think is profound. It's upside down from anything that we would right. lean towards. And humanly speaking, of course, what you would say to Jesus is, Jesus, love your enemies. So really what you're doing is you're admitting defeat, right? You're just willing to throw in the towel and just completely admit defeat. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. And Jesus is speaking about a, a way of life that's happening at a far deeper level that most of us insecure human beings probably have a real hard time getting to. It's like Jesus said, it's like it's uh, in Romans where Paul says, um, overcome evil with good, right? We think the way you overcome evil, the way the world works is you have to overcome an evil power with power that's stronger than it to, to eliminate it. And I say this, people are like, David, do you really believe that? I mean, do you think it's that simple? I think it's enormously complex. I think it is laden with the insecurities and the fears and the challenges of human life, sin, hope, aspiration, peacemaking. Throw all the words into it you want. It's enormously complex. But we ought not end it by just saying, okay, so we left the podcast saying it's just one big confusing tumble. 
we got to remember Jesus Christ taught these things and he meant them as the way to find life that's really life. Yeah. Well, so you've given us a gift of insight into some of the historical background. So if you're listening, um, maybe scripture has felt challenging for you to read or it's hard to engage with. Um, I'd invite you to open up the Gospel of Mark and read uh, the Passion account, maybe see some of the ways that he describes how Jesus is in that narrative, because some of this stuff is coming to light now, and when you see the political undercurrent, it's fascinating, and it's really powerful, and and you start applying these things. You think, um, C.S. Lewis talks about it this way, if you dislike somebody, do them a good turn. You'll find that you dislike them less, and if... Uh, and if you do them a bad turn, you'll find that you'll dislike them more. And it's this idea of, oh man, actually life does work in this weird upside down way that's not necessarily intuitive to human nature. Yeah, there's so much to talk about in this, but I think we're we're probably up for today. <laughs> oh no, I looked like you had something more to say. All right, well, we're good for today, but we'll talk to you guys next week. Hopecast is a ministry of Hope Church in Richmond, Virginia. You can find us online at www.hopecentral.com. Thank you.